I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I was sick for the last two services, and I'm trying to catch up. I've been teaching on God creating evil. I had uh, Robin down in uh, Robin Peters down in Amarillo say to me earlier today. She said, "I love that." series on God creating evil. God said he created evil all through the Old Testament. He said, I will bring evil. I will frame evil against you, Israel. I will frame evil against Babylon. I will do the evil. I will bring it. He didn't say it just one time in Isaiah 45, 7. He says it over and over and over again. And he brings it in the form of the four judgments, the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Before I start, I want to read something to you. This is a book that I've got, Dictionary of Word Origins by Joseph Shipley. And I've got, and I looked up, Hocus Pocus. I want to read it to you. This is the origin of Hocus Pocus. While the magician is babbling mock Latin double talk of learned sound, before the transformation, he indulges in hocus-pocus. This term for foolery comes from the words he is supposed to utter, which themselves are a debasing of the Catholic sacrament. Now, he calls it a debasing. I don't think it's a debasing, because I don't believe in this Catholic sacrament. But he says the word hocus-pocus comes from the Catholic sacrament, changing the bread into the body of the Son of the Lord. Hoc est corpus fili. This is the body of the Son, is what that means. When the formula is completed, the transformation is changed with presto, changeo. That's what the magician says, and the Roman Catholic priest is saying, it's changing into the body of Christ, the cracker. Sometimes the magic form is given as hocus pocus philicus. It is shortened, say, hocus quickly to what we now know to be a hoax. That's interesting. And that goes back to that. I'm talking about, I'll leave that up here in case one of y'all wants that. Uh, I'm talking about Jeremiah. And how that he's he's uh, going through trials. He's been put in prison. He's they've hung him in the mire. Some of the historians say the mire was human waste. Jehoiakim, an evil king of Israel, put him in prison, and then later on he preached. Jeremiah preached to these princes of Israel. And they stuck him in the mire. They wanted to kill him. He's running around saying, saying that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, going to destroy Israel and burn, burn the temple to the ground and burn Jerusalem to the ground. And he did. And and the very last king of southern Judah, northern Israel was carried away into captivity. Northern Israel has been carried away, 722 B.C. So the only one that Jeremiah is talking about in 586 B.C., he's talking to southern Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Southern Israel was called Judah after the after the tribe of what the king would come from. The scepter will not depart from Judah. 
Well, that was Judah was comprised of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And since Saul, the first king, was a Benjaminite, and the the real king has to come out of Judah, Saul was from Benjamin, and of course David was from Judah. And that comprised the southern kingdom. The ten northern tribes were called the Lost Tribes. Lost Tribes. Let me give you something, David, before I forget. That's something you need. Oh. Okay, I'll just give that to you now. Okay. All right, but anyway, people have some people have called me and said, "Well, you're just repeating yourself." You think I'm repeating myself? Read Jeremiah. You've never read Jeremiah, have you? If I don't believe most people, I've never heard anybody say they read through Jeremiah. Nobody. It's fifty-two chapters, and boy, and Jeremiah is slamming them. He preaches to Israel. From 626 B.C. for 40 years to 586. And that's when southern Judah is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And what I'm trying to do is show you how many times that Jeremiah said, God's going to destroy and burn to the ground through Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked, evil system in Jerusalem, where they're going after Baal and the Grove and Shemash and Molech and Venus and all the other gods of Rome and all the gods of, of Egypt and all the gods, all the gods of the people that are around them. And before we get through Jeremiah, He's going to say, he's going to say these things. Let me see here. He's going to say, against, this is what Jeremiah will say, against Moab, that's what we call southern Jordan. He'll say, against Ammon, that's northern Jordan. He'll say, against Syria. He'll say, against, against Tyre and Sidon against Egypt. The reason he's saying that is these nations that surround Israel polluted Israel with all of these false gods. God says, I'm against you. And he'll say, against Judah. Against, he's already taken northern Israel away by the, to the Caucasus Mountains, which is where the Assyrian, Assyrians are. Now, I've had people say, You're just depressing. Well, there is no being a believer without depression. I've had people say, when are you going to talk about joy and the life of a Christian and the the happiness of being a Christian? There's no happiness in being a Christian. The only happiness is being suffering for Christ. That's it. Well, let's look at some verses on that. Look over here in... Let me get this other Bible out. I can find things better. It's wore out. I'm familiar with it. Let's go over here to Philippians 1. If you think Jeremiah is depressing, listen to what Paul says over and over. Over here in Philippians 1. Now, why would Paul say this? If he's having a wonderful time enjoying Jesus. If he's saying, uh, if he's saying, 
I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. He's not saying that. He's depressed. Good grief. You never read your Bible, have you? Look here in Philippians. Why would he say this in Philippians 1, 21? 1, 21 through 23. Why would he say this if he's having a happy time in Jesus? It's not what he's having. They're trying to kill him everywhere he goes. They had to let him down over a wall in a basket. They were chasing him, trying to kill him. You think Jeremiah's having a hard time? You better be glad you're not traveling with Paul because they got snipers on every building, everywhere he goes. They're trying to get him. You see, the Apostle Paul was once one of those Pharisees that's trying to kill him. He was a Pharisee going to Damascus, going to bring some of these Christians back so he could murder them. He said he made havoc of the church. Phonos, murdered the church is what he said. That's why the apostles, when when Ananias took him down to meet the apostles, that's why they said, get him out of here. He'll kill all of us. And he said to him, God has done a work in this man. Look here in 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why would he say that? He was depressed. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, I know not. I don't know what to choose to stay here to die. For what I choose, I know not. For I am a straight betwixt two. Straight means I'm stretched out. I don't know what to do. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better than this life. His life was miserable. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, the church. That's the way I feel. If I couldn't preach, I don't know of a church I would want to go to. If I couldn't say these words and these truths, I'd as soon to go be with the Lord tonight. I have never had such a battle. But I am real confident that I've got enough up here that I can stand up against any preacher in town or in the state. I'm not bragging because I know they don't know anything. And I've spent my life in the Word. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy and joy and joy of faith. People write to me and say, who are you going to talk about the joy? Well, he says here, if the joy is in the faith. Now the word joy is the word kara. C-H-A-R-A. Sometimes the word joy is also the word rejoice. Rejoice. And it comes from the word charis, which is the word grace. And grace means favor that you did not merit. Unmerited favor. God, for His reasons, He just picked you out. People don't like this. They don't like the idea that this was unconditional election. God elected, He had a 
He has a world of people out here. And he says, this one is mine, and this one is mine, and this one is mine, and this one is mine. And none of these people seek me. None seeks after God. There's none righteous, not one. I just pick these out, and I put faith in their heart. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Gift doesn't mean something. He wraps up and like a present, put a bow on it. Gift is the word doran. It means sacrifice. Faith is the sacrifice of Christ that he puts in us. And we're willing to sacrifice our lives because nobody's willing to die to the flesh without God teaching us to do that. Now look at this same chapter. You think Jeremiah was having a hard time? He was. But you think Paul wasn't having just as bad a time? Look here. Look at verse 29. This is one of the first verses I've memorized when I was about 20 or 21. Unto you, Philippi, it is given in the behalf of Christ... Given is a form of the word rejoice. It's the word C-H-A-R-I-Z-O. Charizomai. You can see the word charis in there. It means to grant. Now you talk about joy. Here's, here's where your joy should be. Grant as a favor. Aha. What does he grant as a favor? Let's read the rest of it. Unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe upon God, but also to suffer for his sake. That is a precious gift that he gives you to suffer for him. And without suffering, you're not going to know him. There's a lot of people that had to suffer. Did you know Moses had to suffer? He had one of the worst sufferings that you could possibly think of. Moses, the people, of the children of Israel are always murmuring against Moses. I'm just going to give you some characters throughout the Bible. You, you really want to be like Christ? Do you want to be like Moses? Do you want to be like, like Job and lose everything you've got just as a teaching lesson? All your family, your kids die. Everything you got stolen, burned to the ground. And Job said, though God slay me, yet I will trust him. Now Moses, they came to a place where the people were murmuring against Moses and Aaron. And Aaron had a pretty hard time. He went up on the mountain. Moses went up on the mountain. While he was up on the mountain... The people come to Aaron. He, Moses hadn't been down for about 40 days. They said, he's never coming back down again. Build us a golden calf to go before us. And we will say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. So when Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees that golden calf, he says, Aaron, what's going on here? And Aaron gave the stupidest cue as anybody that's ever given in the Bible. He said, well, these people told me to make a golden calf and, and they brought me all their gold and we cast in the fire and I jumped this calf. I couldn't help it. Did you know that God killed Aaron for that in the 20th chapter of Numbers? 
and Miriam, their older sister, she murmured against Moses for having married an Ethiopian black woman. And God said, I will kill you for that. My approval is upon that marriage. And he struck Miriam with leprosy. And Moses begged God, said, God, don't do that. You see, it's not Jeremiah's the only one that's suffering. I want to give you something that God said to Moses. In this 20th chapter of Numbers, I'm going to show you how they had to suffer. In the 20th chapter, God tells Moses, take the rod in verse 8, gather the, the assembly together. They're murmuring against Moses, murmuring against Aaron, said, you brought us out here in the, in the desert to die. And it's pretty hot out there and it's pretty lonely out there. And they're all ganging up on Moses and Aaron. And he says, and the Lord says to Moses, speak unto the rock before their eyes. He says, speak to the rock. And Moses is angry at the people because they're murmuring and wanting to do something and kill him and kill Aaron. In verse 9, Moses took the rock from before the Lord as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. He said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of a rock? He's calling rebels. Moses is mad at the people. He didn't need to get mad. All he had to do is do what God said. And Moses lifted up the hand and with his rod smote the rock twice. God didn't tell him to smite the rock. He said, speak to it. And he said, Moses is going to pay for this. He's their leader. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not, Moses, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore, Moses, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You're not going to lead them into the land. Your assistant Joshua will do that. You can't go over the river. Whew. Boy, you talk about upsetting Moses. Go over here to go over here to Deuteronomy. The third chapter. And look at Moses. He turns into a little bitty baby. Verse 23. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, Thou hast begun to show Thy servant Thy greatness and Thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to Thy works (coughs) and to Thy might? Now Moses starts asking God, God, please let me go over. I've gone 40 years in the wilderness, so aren't you going to let me go? I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. God won't even listen to Moses. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, 
don't speak no more of me of this matter. I don't want to hear you talk about it again, Moses. Do you understand? Moses had to go up on Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, and Mount Pisgah. One of them is a mountain range. Mount Pisgah is in the top of it. We talk about Mount Pisgah's lofty heights. It's over in Jordan, and he got to look over across. And Moses had not even lost his strength. He was 80 years old. Look over here in the last chapter of Look in the last chapter of Deuteronomy. The last chapter. He was an old man by our standards, but the Bible says his strength was not abated. He was just as strong as 80 as he was when he left Egypt at 40. And he just, his heart was broken. I mean, I can't imagine going through all that. All the things he had to go through. And God says, just because you disobeyed me. Why would God do that to Moses? He was an example to everyone in Israel. And he lost his temper at him and slapped the rock twice. God says, that's it, Moses. You don't get to go into the promised land. Look over here in, in Deuteronomy 33. 33. Verse 1, Moses went up from the plains of Moab. That's Jordan. That's southern Jordan. Unto the mountain Nebo, to the top Pisgah. Pisgah is the height of the mountain Nebo. That is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead in Dan and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah, unto the utmost sea, and the south and plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, and Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land I swear unto Abraham. They're right there on the border, looking over, right above the Red Sea. They crossed right above the, excuse me, not the Red Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. And here's the Jordan River going down. And right above the Dead Sea, there's a place called Gilgal right across the river. He's on a mountain over here. He gets to look, and that's it. That's simply, that's a hard time. Go through 40 years of all that he went through, the enemy, uh, no water, no bread, no food, except manna and doves and manna in the morning and doves in the evening. And he is extremely depressed. And it goes on to say, And the Lord said, This is the land that I swear unto Abraham and unto Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to thy seed, and I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes. But thou shalt not go over, Moses. You got me? So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Baal Peor. That's where they picked up the worship of Baal and took it into the land with them. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. Nobody knows. God took him up on the mountain and buried him himself. 
And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, and his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. He was just as strong as eighty as he was when he left Egypt at forty. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hand upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the, as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Whew. Jesus talked to him to his face. Man. And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to all his servants and to all his land and all that mighty hand and the, all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. And boy, you can go through his life. And there was a lot of fear and terror in it. So let's keep looking at these guys. I want you to look over here. Move this over. I want you to go with me in some of these places and look at these people. The Bible says that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. People don't like how sad it is when Jeremiah says, I, God says to me, I will create evil, I'll bring evil upon you, and I'll frame evil against you, Israel, because of your sin. Well, God is doing that all through the Scriptures. He tells us, when, when Paul went on his first missionary journey, he left Jerusalem, went up here to Antioch, came over here to Cyprus, come up here to Pamphylia, went up to uh, Antioch over here, there's an Antioch here and an Antioch over here. Antioch comes from Antiochus, A-N-T-I-O-C-H-U-S. Antiochus Epiphanes was the Old Testament picture of the man of sin at the end of time. Well, Paul came over here, ran into that that crazy man that said he was trying to stop Paul from preaching. And Paul said to him, you wicked man, you're a child of the devil. And then he went on up here. He went up to Iconium. I went up to Antioch over here. And he preached the resurrection of Christ. And all of these Pharisees came out. And they hated him for it. They were so jealous of him. And he said, you reject God. This is in the 14th chapter of Acts. He said, you reject. And he said, I'm going to the Gentiles from now on. And they chased him. They chased him out of Antioch. I don't know if I've got a picture of that. Let me see if I do. They chased him out of Antioch. And he ran over to Lystra. Now, this, is how, this is how bad they hated Paul. Yeah, here they are. Here's what they did. They chased him out of Antioch. The Pharisees, it was the Pharisees that chased him out. This is in 14th chapter of Acts. He runs over to Iconium. 
these same Pharisees, a week later, they're so furious and enraged, they chase him over there and they try to get these people at Iconium. The people at Iconium were heathens and they were accepting him. But they talked to him, got him to run him out of town, and he comes down here to Lystra. The same Pharisees follow him to Iconium and down to Lystra, 75 miles or so. You've got to be mad to chase somebody that long. Everywhere Paul went, they were trying to kill him. They caught him at Lystra. They took him outside the city. They stoned him and left him for dead. When they stoned you, they didn't throw rocks at you. They took you up on a high precipice, a little cliff, 20 feet, 30 feet high, and they'd throw you down if it didn't break your neck or break your back or kill you. They would throw big rocks at them. The stoning man was extremely dangerous. It was more dangerous than getting shot with a bullet. They'd throw them down on him, and he was just mangled and beat up, and they had to put splints on him, and he got back up on his feet and went on down to Derby. And then he said, I need to go back and check on these people. So he went back, came back here, came back, and that was his first missionary journey. And come time for the second missionary journey, and Barnabas in chapter 15, Paul said, I'm ready to go on our second missionary journey. And Barnabas said, let me go get John Mark. And Paul got got in a rage at, at Barnabas. I believe that's a picture of how, to, how what a sinner Paul was. It wasn't, it is not conducive to Christianity to get in a rage. He got so mad at, at Barnabas here, and they were best friends. He got so mad at Barnabas, he said, John Mark's not going with me anywhere. Because he departed when we got to Perga, he didn't even go with us to get persecuted up here. And John and and Paul and Barnum split and went different ways. That just shows you. And Paul had a hard time with everything he did. But you got to remember, that was at the beginning of his ministry. And he was young. And he's just had this one journey under his belt. And he hadn't learned to be real calm yet. <laughs> He's like the rest of us. He had a temper. He was high strung. So when you get to Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, he's telling Timothy, when you come, be sure and bring my coat. It's winter here at Rome. And uh, bring John Mark with you. He's profitable to the faith now. Paul had matured when he got to prison. He wasn't resenting anything anymore. I believe Paul is trying to show us what a sinner he was. He was in all kinds of problems of every kind. They chased him every day trying to kill him. They finally got him at Rome. Tradition says he was beheaded by the Romans. They all died the martyr's death. Let's get back to some of these other people that that are interesting that we might look at. Let's look over here in the book of Job. Look at Job. Job had one of the hardest times of anybody. When you're talking about Jeremiah, you're talking about a man that had just been to hell and back, as the old saying goes. 
because they locked him in prison. They threatened to kill him. God kept telling Jeremiah, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. They're not going to kill you. You are my prophet for the day. So, when you go over to Job, I want to show you some things here. Look here in Job 16, 11, and 12. Job in the first chapter lost all of his children, seven sons and three daughters. A wind came and blew the house down where they were. And they all died. Seven sons and three daughters died. One day, one wind, and the winds belong to God according to the 37th and the 38th chapter of Job. They're God's winds. What really gets me, people say the devil did that. The devil doesn't do that. Even insurance companies know better than that. They call it acts of God, don't they? That's what they call hurricanes and things like that. Now, look here in Job 16. Boy, when he takes everything, all of his camels, Job ended up poverty-stricken when God got through with him. He was the richest man of the East. He was a righteous man. And he said, though God slay me, I will trust him. Look here in Job 16. I love this. Here's the way Job put it. Job 16, verse 11. God hath delivered me to the ungodly. When the Sabians came in, stole all his camels. When all of these other people came in, killed his servants. When the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up all his sheep. He was broke when he was through with him. What was God doing to Job? He was maturing him. Look here. Verse 11. Chapter 16, God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease. I had all the money a man could want, all the servants a man could have. I had thousands of cattle, thousands of sheep, thousands of asses, and they're all dead and gone now. My kids are dead and gone. He sat down sackcloth and ashes and scraped his body when God struck him. God allowed him to be struck with balls from the tip top of his head to the sole of his feet. Yes, Jeremiah had a hard time, but Job did too. And then Job says in verse 12, I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. God did it. What do you mean God won't create evil? He said, God broke me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. How would you like that to be to be matured with? And set me up for his mark, Matara, his prison, his guard. He's going to guard over me. Now, Let's go to, let's go here to Job. Here's the problem. Job 14 and 1. Boy, this makes me feel so true. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Every day of your life, especially when you're a believer, you're going to have nothing but troubles. When people say you're just too hard on God creating evil, what do you think he's doing to Job here? 
He cometh forth like a flower, and is cut down. He fleeth as a shadow, and continueth not. Man is like the vapor. It's just like a vapor. Whisp away. I can't believe that I'll be 83 in May. I feel like they used to call me Little Jimmy Brown in high school. There were two songs out named Jimmy Brown. I was Little Jimmy Brown or Charlie Brown. And it seems like just a few months ago. But it's nearly time for me to die. I remember in my 50s, while we had this ministry, I thought, I won't ever get to my 80s. That's a long way off. But here I am. And here it is. That's the way it works. It's just amazing that God is the way He is. Look at Job 30. Job 30. Job expresses his his weariness all through this. Job 30 and verse 21. Thou art become cruel to me. Job is saying, God is cruel to me. What do you think that was that said that? The outer man? God's cruel to me. With thy strong hand thou opposest me against, opposest thyself against me. You seem like you're against me, God. He is against this outer man. He's having to perfect Job. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to ride upon it. It's like I'm being blown away, he say. And dissolvest my substance. You took everything I had. My kids, my cattle, my everything. But Job said, the Lord giveth and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name, the, the Shem, the authority that it's God's authority can do as he pleases. That's what Samuel said when God said, when that's what Eli said when Samuel says, let's look at that over in Samuel. First Samuel, the fifth chapter. First Samuel 5. Samuel is just brand new. And Eli has not made his children mine, Nadab and Abihu, not Nadab and Abihu, Eliphaz and, I'll get it in a minute, not Eliphaz, <laughs> Phineas and uh, his brother. Hophni. Uh, Hophni and Phineas. He hadn't made them mine. They're taking bribes at the gate of the temple. And, and Joshua and Samuel has been sent to, he's been sent to live with, uh, with Eli, a promise that was made to God. And, uh, when he's living with Eli, in verse, Let's read in verse in fifteen of third chapter of first Samuel. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli his vision. God had come to him and told him, I'm going to kill Eli's sons. They're wicked, evil sons. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, Here am I. Samuel was young. Eli was an old priest of God. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord has said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. 
God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told, Samuel, young Samuel, he's a kid, told him every whit, and did nothing from him, and said, It is the Lord. This is what this is what Eli said. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Kill my sons if that's what he wants. And that's what he did. Now let's keep going. I'm trying to show you everything is not joy and hunky-dory and fun-fun like people want it to be working for the Lord. If you have joy or if you have kara, kara, joy or rejoice, you people want to straddle the fence. You know why I think they call me? They're not mature and grown up. When they say, where's your joy in the Lord? You're happy, happy, and let's just have fun. Fun and joy are total opposites. Fun is an old English word, phone. What did I do with my pencil? Phone, that's the word joy. I have to get another one. P-H-O-N-E. This is the word fun. Or F-O-N-N-E. And it means to amuse. Amuse comes from... Amusement is also... You'll get that in the word entertainment. Entertainment. It will tell you it means to amuse, or that means to have fun. That's the exact opposite of joy. Joy is in the Lord. Fun comes from muse. Muse means to think over. If you muse through a book, you read sections of it and you think about it. Amuse, the alpha primitive, negates the word muse. It means no thinking that's what fun is you're talking if you're straddling the fence and you don't like this persecution just like paul was they tried to kill him there at lystra you don't want people chasing you and getting angry at you you're in the wrong business it's because you're straddling the fence people can remember how much fun they had when they were in their sin they can remember that. Now they're in persecution because they learn the truth, they get thrilled about it, and they try to tell people, and that ends up in tribulation. And they say, and they straddle the fence and say, I want to go back while I was having fun. This is death back here. That's death. And you can never, once you're born again, go back and be who you used to be. Oh, you may try. God won't let it last. and will make you miserable. Our, our calling is to these things that produce tribulation and persecution. Yea, and all that will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But you have to go through that in order to mature. When the Bible says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, go in Matthew the sixth chapter. Perfect is the word teleos. 
and it means to be mature. Well, you cannot grow up one day, and if you ever learn the truth, you can't back up on it. You can't unlearn your your uh, multiplication tables. Two times two is four. Four times two is eight. Eight times two is sixteen. Fifteen times seven is um, what's that? Eighty-five. One hundred five. Seven. One hundred five. <laughs> the math is back there. And eight 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 to nine is seventy two and nine to six is fifty four and you can't unlearn your multiplication tables, can you? I can't. At least up to ten. <laughs> I can't unlearn them. You can't unlearn what you know. You can't unlearn tribulation. Can you? You cannot. That is a requirement. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. If you live godly, you've got to go through tribulation and be miserable sometime. If you know something, if you know Christmas is pagan and predestination is true and God doesn't love everybody, you've got to say it to somebody and most of the world don't believe it because most of the world's going to hell. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and only a few find it. Because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in there at. Most people are going to hell they die. And they don't like predestination. And they don't like Christmas is pagan. And they don't like God doesn't love everybody. And you're going to get persecuted for it. And you're supposed to. And what's that going to do to you? Make you sorrowful and grieved? Well, we're predestined to be sorrowful and grieved. Because predestination is not about just going to heaven. It's not just about that. Certainly we're chosen by God before the foundation of the world to go to heaven. But predestination is about predestinate in Romans 8.29 is a verb. It's a verb that shows action. You have to have a noun that receives the action of every action verb whom he did predestinate he predestinated us to be conformed that doesn't look like a noun does it but it is to be con- I can't even spell what I'm talking to be conformed it is a noun it's what you call an infinitive that is called a verbal noun An infinitive is a noun with verbal character. If you stop and think, to be means to exist conformed. To be is, exist is a form of to be. To exist conformed. So you have to exist conformed. It's kind of like to be the barn is to be 
painted red. It is never to be unpainted. An infinitive comes from infinite. Once we are conformed, we're never unconformed. It never happens. Infinite, when you go out and look at the sky on a clear night, you say it's infinite there. It goes out in space and it never stops. That's what we that's how we would describe it. It's infinite. Whatever whenever you have an infinitive, that's permanent. It's infinite. And it never stops being that. That's like to be baptized. To be baptized in Acts ten. Acts ten forty eight. Peter commanded them to to be baptized. We've said baptism is not water. It's not sprinkling in water. It's not dipping in water. To be baptized is an infinitive. It's one word in the Greek. To be baptistani. It's one word. It means that once the baptism is there, it's blood. It can never be undone. It's infinite. So infinitives are something to learn. It's a noun with verbal character. If you're covered with the blood of Christ, you're never uncovered. Now, I want to get back to some of these people. Some of them are just amazing. Paul had some of the hardest times of anybody in all of the Bible. I want you to look over here at Second Corinthians. 11. 2 Corinthians 11. He's talking about his experiences. Let's see if, if he compares with Jeremiah. I'm just taking some time to show you that people want... I believe too many Christians straddle the fence. They don't want the hard times. Let me tell you something. This really, I've come to realize this in the last 18 years of my life. I wrestled and fought and struggled and coughed and hacked and spit with that bronchial asthma. And I don't, if you notice, I don't do that anymore. I used to listen to my old tapes when I was in my 50s. <laughs> yeah. All through it, as people would write to me and say, you don't need to be coughing to your preacher. I can't help it. But I've learned to believe my own message in these last 15 years. What do you mean? I've said over and over again that everything that's going on is the will of God. He's declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, everything that's not yet done, your sickness. I was talking to Robin Peters today on the phone. She's got leukemia. It's come back. She said, I've learned just to say, Lord, thank you for this leukemia. It's it's what you want me to have. 
that's the way we need to look at life. I've learned to believe my own message that God has declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done in my life, in your life, in everybody's life, car wrecks, getting fired, losing your job, buying a house, losing a house, getting sick, losing a child. Every bit of it is the will of God. Why do you want to fight it by stressing out? Jim Brown? (laughs) And I started saying that to myself. Why do I want to fight the world? Most of them are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says so. So you're going to fight a crazy world? They can't think rational. You can tell them the Bible says God does not love everybody. Well, I think he does. Well, the Bible says he loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one was born. Well, I don't care what it says. I believe he does. That's irrational. They're nuts. And yet they say they believe the Bible. One of the best things to say when somebody says, I don't believe in predestination. Just say, you say you're a Christian. You have to believe it. It's in the Bible. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Over whom he did predestinate, then he also called. Whom he called, then he also justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. We have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. What do you think of those verses? You calling God a liar? I will hit man right in the face with that that hard. I don't believe in predestination. I said to a guy down at Sam's one time. He said, I don't believe in predestination. I said, you said you went to this big Baptist church out here. You have to believe it. It's in the Bible. And he went, he didn't know it was in the Bible. He looked like I'd hit him in the face with a dead fish. He went, I told a nurse that over at one of my doctor's office. I said, the reason that happened because of predestination. She said, I don't believe in that. I said, you must believe in it. You said you go to First Baptist Church and you call yourself a Christian. You don't believe the Bible? And she went, that's the best way to answer them. Quote a predestination verse. Say, you don't believe that? Is that what you're saying? You've got to memorize those verses. Ephesians 1, 4, and 11. And 1, 4, 5, and 11. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Not 2, 8, and 9, excuse me. Romans, Romans, uh, Romans 8, 29, and 30. You've got to quote those to people when they say they don't believe it. Say, you go to church, you call yourself a Christian, and you hate part of the Bible? Say it just like that. Because they'll feel like like a little child who got reprimanded that's five years old from their mother for acting up. I take the I take the initiative, I take the leadership in any conversation I'm in, somebody wants to fight God's word. I say, You're not a Christian, you don't even believe in him. And I'll tell you what it'll do, it shocks most of them if you do that. You call yourself a Christian. You don't be parts of the Bible. It's there. Now, I want us to go over here and see what hard time Paul had. We're kind of comparing Paul and Jeremiah and Job and Jeremiah and Moses and Jeremiah. They had a hard time. If we went through Moses' life, he had a real difficult time. Now look here in Second Corinthians 11. Through here, he's talking about 
being persecuted by people. He's talking about another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. One guy told me, I'm preaching another Jesus. You are ignoramus, Mr. Aspera, whatever your name is. Another Jesus is the one that Kenneth Copeland preached said he wants you rich and he wants you to have you real healthy all the time. That's not true. That's the other Jesus. And the other Jesus here in this chapter, and he says, these people that follow these other Jesus preachers, verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Transform metaschematizo. These are hard to fight. These are religious people. M-E-T-A-S-C-H-E-M-A-T-I-Z-O. Metaschematizo means to disguise oneself. They are not apostles of Christ. They're disguising themselves wearing three-piece suits and a watch fob and pastoring some big Baptist church. I don't like these big Baptist churches. They're phony. What they are, they're party churches. You go there to play baseball, and you go there to have a young people's party so you can flirt with somebody and get your girlfriend or boyfriend and have a pizza party. And you don't ever hear the Word of God. And the Word of God you hear is there's no Greek in it. There's no real truth. And you got to accept Christ and sinner's prayer. And you go and walk down the aisle and get saved, and that's it. It's all over. I don't like that. And then he goes on to say, And no marvel, verse 14, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. (laughs) Satan is metaschematizo disguised as Jesus. That's the other Jesus, you knucklehead. I'm talking to that guy who wrote me a letter and said, You're preaching the other Jesus. No, you are, mister. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be disguised as ministers of righteousness. I don't ever hear preachers talk about these verses. It's them. That's why they don't. Whose end shall be according to their words. So Paul says, I'm going to boast a little like a man would brag. I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise yet as a fool receive me. If you're going to think me a fool, receive me as a fool. That I may boast myself a little. That I that which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord. But as if I were man of the world, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. But here's our glory. But you suffer fools gladly. You put up suffer means to put up with. You suffer fools gladly, seeing you yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, and if a man devour you, if a man take of you, and if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach. O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Infamy. When I speak, I'm going to talk about my being infamous. Not famous. I'm infamous because I go through all these things and the Pharisees want to kill me and the Romans are going to get me and they are going to kill me. 
Howbeit, whensoever in his bold I speak foolishly, I am bold also. I can say that I'm very bold to get in the middle of a bunch of men. I started to tell you a while ago, I've come to a place I am free. I used to, when I was a younger preacher, I was to be afraid to bring up predestination in certain areas or around certain people. I'm not afraid to say it to the banker, to the president. I'm not afraid to say it to the sheriff or to a police officer. You want to scare somebody off. I'll have people call me on the phone. Mr. Brown, this is your Blue Cross. We want to give you your chance to renew. I said, let me tell you about predestination. I said, did you know the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed with the image of his son? Let me tell you about that. And they'll say, I, I have to go, sir. Uh, thank you. You want to get rid of him, start preaching predestination to him. I speak boldly. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews, these men coming to Corinth that are preaching the other Jesus? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. They're bragging about that. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more than any of them. In labors more abundance. In stripes above measure. They can only give a man 39. The very maximum stripes a man could get was 40. They would always save one stripe just in case they'd count it over. Because if you got beat with more, more than 40 stripes, the man that was beating you would have to receive the same number of stripes. And they beat you with those whips. They hurt. They rip your hide open. And stripes above measure. Ah! He said, I have gotten stripes over 40. In prisons more awkward, often. In deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Of the Jews, five times they gave me a beat me, probably with the cat of nine tails, thirty-nine times. Thrice was I beaten with rods. You could get beaten with rods and it could kill you. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. You think he's having a hard time? He's running. For his life. A night and a day I have been in the deep. He's talking about in the bottom of one of those ships that's being tossed all over the place in a storm. I was in the bottom of the ship, terrified that I was going to die that night. In journeys often, in dangers of waters, perils means dangers, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen trying to kill me, the Pharisees. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. How would you like to be with Paul on all those journeys? In perils in the sea. In perils among false teachers. In weariness. <laughs> in painfulness. In watchings often, and I was hungry at times and thirsty. In fastings often, probably not voluntarily because he had no food. In cold and nakedness, beside 
all the arguing that's going on in the churches and I'm having to go and fix every fight they've got going on. Ephesus had all kinds of problems. In Revelation, the second chapter, Ephesus, you left your first love. You're agape. You quit walking in the commandments of God. Beside those things that are without or outside that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, Corinth, Rome, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, trying to balance everybody and make people behave themselves. People say, I wouldn't come to Grace and Truth Ministries. There's too much fighting been going on. You wouldn't go to Ephesus for sure or Galatia. Or you certainly wouldn't go to Corinth because they were a bunch of babies. That was what Paul was for. That's what the under-shepherd or Jim Brown is for. To try to quell all these fights that come along. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, he said at the beginning of this speech, I will glory in something, in boasting in my infirmities, which concern my infirmities. He says, that's what I'll glory in, not in how good I am at something. Now, I want you to go over here to... Boy, he's, he had one hard time. Look over here in Hebrews 11. When you think you're having a hard time, look at these men in Scripture. Look at Jeremiah. We're going to get back to Jeremiah and finish his book. But if you think preaching on the hard times of Jeremiah is too depressing, well, read the rest of the Bible. It's his too. Every day I get up. Where do you get all this grief and this sorrow? Ecclesiastes one eighteen. In much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The wiser you get, the more knowledge you get of the Scriptures, you look at these preachers and say, this grieves me, I'm so sorrowful, they're all lying. And they are. Accept Christ is not true. You will accept Christ after your birth, you're born again. Sinner's prayer is not true for salvation, but you will pray to God after he births you by his will. Everybody goes to Romans ten thirteen. Every Baptist in America goes to it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not the method of salvation. The next verse is, How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You have to believe. That's what Paul told the Philippian jailer. He said, Paul didn't say, would you like to accept Christ as your Savior, Philippian jailer? Would you pray this prayer and mean with all your heart? He didn't say that. He said, believe. That's the thing that really turned my life around. But I had to grow up and study the text of Scripture to realize God rest his soul, my father did not know what he was talking about. He was a Baptist preacher, an independent Baptist preacher. And he'd say, you got to come down and walk down this aisle and accept Christ. That's not true. That's not true for salvation. You will accept the things of God after he births you. You will pray 
a prayer to God, but not a sinner's prayer for salvation when you're dead in sin. You can't. You can't call on a God you don't believe in. I'm not going to pray to Zeus anymore. If I believed he was there, I would do it. And that frustrated me to no end. My father would get up and say, I know I've got a home. And if I didn't know, I was 13 or 12. What does he mean? He knows. I want to know too. It's because there's two words for know in the Greek. Gnosko and ito. That's two common words. When Paul said, I know whom I have believed, he didn't use our word gnosko. He used the word ito. E-I-D-O. That means to see or perceive. Right before that, he said, I'm an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher. Why do I use that so much? Because that frustrated me as a little boy to no end. I kept walking the aisle and getting saved and he'd dip me in water. Walked the aisle and getting saved and he'd dip me in water. I woke up one day when I studied that, Romans ten thirteen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I didn't know how to accept Christ. And I got frustrated and I grew up, studied the Bible, studied the Greek, and found out these two words. And you cannot be positive, absolutely sure that you're saved. If you're positive and absolutely sure, then you don't believe in Jesus to save you. What woke me up, that verse 14 woke my life up of Romans 10 how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed after I had all these experiences of my salvation walking the aisle in Beaumont walking the aisle in Oklahoma daddy dipping me Cal Sims dipping me David Cabin dipping me I got so frustrated at 11, 12, 13, 14 I just give up I said I don't know what to do with it and when I studied, Paul saying, I know whom I have believed. He said, I see. I'm suffering for being a man who used to kill people like me. I was a Pharisee and I was killing Christians for a living. That's why the apostles were terrified of him when he was introduced in Jerusalem to him. Get him out of here. What changed my life? I recalled at seven years old, standing out in front of a church in Fort Worth, Texas, this changed my... I had to throw away all those conversions I had. I just threw them out the window because I was standing in front of that church and this Methodist preacher, I remember his name, G.W. French, he pastored a place called College Heights Methodist Church. And it was a summer, and he preached on hell. And, pre- and some of those Methodist preachers back then would preach hard on hell. I went outside. I'll never forget. It was in the spring. The moon was out as bright. I looked up to the sky and said, Jesus, I want to come to heaven to be with you someday. I realized that, that when I remembered that, I could not have prayed that if I didn't believe in Him. That changed my whole world around. And I don't like for people to say, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved. I don't care what you say. I know. No, you don't. That means you're not relying on Jesus. You're relying on your gnosis. 
Gnosis is the word knowledge. And it means something you learn. This over here, ido means something you see. You see your life change. When you see it change, you say, that's my knowing is my seeing me become somebody. I am actually a new creature. I'm a new creation compared to Jim Brown of 35 years old. I'm not the same man. If you think I am, you're really mistaken. I'm one of the strictest people you've ever been around. I won't put up with cussing, drinking, smoking around me in my house, in my yard. Anything. I'm not going to come out there and tell you if you're off my property to stop doing it. I might tell you them cigarettes will kill you. you get cancer one day. Keep drinking that booze. You may get drunk and get killed in a car wreck. I may tell you that, but that's all I'll say. I'm very strict when it comes to living straight. And I don't believe in doing anything but that. Now, I want you to look at this 11th chapter. I consider the 11th chapter of Hebrews and the 11th chapter of Second Corinthians sister chapters. Because they all talk about suffering. It sounds like Paul may have written the book of Hebrews. It has his stamp on it. And it's about spiritual Jews. I had a guy write me and said, All the Bible's not for you. You're ignorant too. All scripture is given by inspiration from God. When that was spoken of in second in Second Timothy, when Eve said that, the Old Testament only was only scripture that was written. There was no New Testament yet. It was in the making. And every time the Bible says Hosea saith, it says Hosea, O-S-E-E, but that's how you translate it out of the Greek, O-S-E. Hosea saith, or it will say Jeremiah saith. That's Jeremiah. Well, that's talking about old scripture. Or it will say uh, Esaias, E-S-I-A-S, saith. That's Isaiah saith. What do you think that's talking about? The Old Testament is not from me. Every time the Bible says the Scripture, as the Scripture saith, it's quoting Old Testament. When it says as it is written, it's quoting Old Testament. You don't believe the Old Testament is for us? You believe we can go out and kill people now? We can commit adultery? No. All of the Bible, the Old Testament's a shadow. The New Testament's the very image. There's a temple over here. We are the temple over here. There's an Ark of the Covenant over here. It's sprinkled. It has the law written on tables of stone in it. There's our hearts over here that's sprinkled. And the law is written on fleshy tables of our hearts. What do you mean there's no spiritual Jew? I can't believe anybody will even say that and mean it. It's it's crazy. I'm going to say a lot more about that. How much time do I have, Mike? 18. Let's read some of this. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is Faith's Hall of Fame. That's what it's called by most professors. The faith is the substance of things hoped for. Verse 1. Verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. He framed them by His Word. By faith Abel in verse 4. By faith Enoch in verse 5. Without faith it's impossible to please God in verse 6. By faith, Noah, 
in verse 7. By faith, Abraham in verse 8. That's why they call it Face Hall of Fame. By faith, Abraham sojourned to a land of promise. But he was looking for a city whose foundations and builder was maker is God. Verse 11, through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed. It goes on down here and talks about all these that died in the faith in verse 13. And you get on down here, by faith, Abraham in verse 17, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting. When he went up on the mountain to kill Isaac, accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead if he killed him on that mountain. Because God had promised to bless the world through Isaac, even from the dead from whence he had received him in a figure, a parable. By faith, Isaac in verse 20. By faith, Jacob in verse 21. By faith, Joseph in verse 22. By faith, Moses in verse 23. When he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing. Rather, he, God had to put the choice in his heart choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for just a season. When we, when Christ puts choice in our heart to choose Him, and He has to put it because none seeks Him, and Moses esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect and a recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. Through faith he kept the Passover. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot harlot Rahab, she's in the lineage of Christ of the first chapter of Matthew. She's one of his ancestors. Then he says in verse 32, this is why it sounds like Paul to me. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. He was a harlot, son of a harlot of David, of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions like Daniel, quenched the violence of fire like the three Hebrew children, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in a fight, turned to flight armies of aliens, Yes, Jeremiah had a hard time. But these are what the saints went through in the early church. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, even to the cost of their lives, like the apostles. They all died the martyr's death. Isaiah was said to be sawed in half, put in a log and sucked and cut in two that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had true 
had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings and moreover of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. I've got a picture over there. I don't know if I got it out here. It's of a man hanging upside down. And they're sawing him through his bottom, all the way through his body, while he is alive. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They were wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Does that sound like I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart? You think that's what they were singing? No. Do you think they were having fun? They were happy? They were screaming and crying and moaning and groaning. I've read out of the Fox's Book of Martyrs they were doing the same thing to them during the Inquisition. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. The promise will come in the end, eternal life. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should be made perfect. We're all going to be made perfect, teleos, mature, in body at the same time. Now, let me give you another chapter over in in Second Peter, excuse me, in First Peter. In First Peter, talking about suffering. You say, I can't preach. All you're supposed to do is give what you're capable of giving. That's all. People say, I'm not a preacher. Every one of God's children is a preacher. When the more you, but you're only expected to give out what you have. To whom much is given, much is required. To whom little is given, little is required. That's what he says here in verse 11 of the fourth chapter. If any man speak about Christ, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. All God requires is your ability to do what you can. That's it. Not You can't be Jim Brown. I can't be Paul. We all can't be Jeremiah. Boy, that takes lots of guts to stand against a whole, a whole city, a nation, every day to go out and say, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. He's burning this city down to the ground. How would you like to try that? He's preaching it all through the city and they're wanting to kill him. These are Jews that's wanting to kill this Jew, Jeremiah. He's a prophet. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved. That's a form of agape, agapatos. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. It's not strange, Knizzo. X the fiery trial is a daily requirement. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have its 
perfect work. Let the fire happen. Don't pray. God, take the fire away. If the fire is more precious than gold that perishes, would you pray that your bank would go belly up? Would you pray, God, I pray that my bank will go broke so I'll lose all my money in the bank because the time of your faith is more precious than that. Think it not strange, condenso, X-E-N-I-C-O. It comes from the word X-E-N-O-S. Kazenos, this is a kazi. Kazenos, it's not an X. It's this, it's the same thing as this right here. That's an X. It's pronounced kazi, K-S-E-E. Kazenos means an occasional guest. Occasional guest. Don't think that the fiery trial is going to happen occasionally. It's going to happen every day in a believer's life. What's God doing? He's burning out all that outer man, the impurities in every one of us. I didn't feel today. I didn't feel like I do today when I was 35 at all. I was trying to get rich and be somebody and get famous back then. And doing a lot of things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. The word try is the word parosmos. P-E-I-R-A-S-M-O-S. It's the same word as, as temptation. Everywhere you find temptation. Does God tempt us? He doesn't tempt us to do evil. He tempts us to do good. He puts us in the fire. So we'll do right. He told Israel, I'm putting you through all this trial. That's what Jeremiah said. So you will grow and do right. It's the same thing as a scourge. But as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not a strange thing to a believer. If you get miserable, you're supposed to be. You're getting more, you're getting smarter, more knowledge, and more wisdom, and more understanding. That's supposed to happen to every one of us. I told this boy that called me last night, I said, I'm depressed. He said, I'm depressed. I said, so am I. I said, you're in good company with me and the rest of the people of grace and truth. You're not any different than us. Our families don't like us either. We don't have close friends except the people in the church. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Of Christ's sufferings. We partake of His. That's what Philippians, the third chapter, says. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. What does that mean? That means I can fellowship with Dave if he is suffering because I am suffering. And we can get together and hug each other and say, Boy, it's tough out there. We're fighting a world that is not only Christ can win. We can win. That where his glory shall be revealed. When he says, think it not strange. He's saying, you're blessed over there in, in Luke six twenty two. Blessed are you when men shall hate you. Blessed is the word makorios. M-A-K-U-R-I-O-S. You're fortunate. Now you want to talk about joy? Fortunate, but you mean when men shall hate you, when they cast out your name as evil, 
when they separate from your company, when they reproach you, reproach is the word O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. We've already talked about that. When they make you infamous, and then he says, when they hate you, they reproach you and make you, and you become a byword. Look at that. There's that stupid Jim Brown, blah, blah, blah. When they do that, the next verse says, Rejoice! Kara, when you think I'm preaching too hard about God creating evil, Jeremiah, that's just a small part of it. Do I have some time? Let me give you this one verse down here. It's my favorite verse. He said, when you suffer, don't suffer doing evil things. Do suffer for doing right. And he says here in verse 18, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Scarcely is the word mogus. Whether you like it or not, this is how you're saved. Mogus comes from the word molis. And it means with great difficulty. It's not hard for God. He makes it hard on us. Being saved is hard. I got a stupid sister-in-law said on TV one time, getting saved is easy. You're stupid, Mary. She's dumber than a rock. It's not easy. It's difficult. You have to go through tribulation and fire and trials. That's what's required of every believer. And if you quit, maybe you didn't have it in the beginning. If you really are one of God's elect, He'll beat you till you get back on board. I promise you that. He scourges every son He receives. So we will be partaker of His holiness. That's an imperative. He, it don't no matter whether you like it or not. He will scourge you and beat you. The scourge is a bloody beating. Bloody, what do you mean by bloody? Oh, hospital stays. Losing your health, losing your car, losing your house, losing your wife. Losing your kids till you're miserable. And you say, oh, God, forgive me for being such a fool. And that's what we are. We become fools for Christ. You have to look like a fool. The preaching of the cross is then that perish foolishness. Foolishness is the word moreno. We get our word moron from that. you got to look like a moron from the world's viewpoint. Be living for Christ. You can't. I keep saying this. Once you come to the realization that everything that's happening is the will of God, He's the one in charge, all you have to do is get out there and say, Well, I'm looking for sheep. I'm not looking for goats. Most of the people I talk to are going to be goats from the foundation of the world. They were vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. So I don't care how many goats I talk to and how much they disagree. I'm looking for that one say, Is that right? Well, I like that. That's a thrill to run across one person like that. I'm thrilled with one of my doctor's nurses. It's his daughter. She's a nurse practitioner. Name's Lauren. She seems so happy to see me. I give her tracks and tapes and stuff. And she'll say, that's really interesting things, Jim. 
and I gave her a DVD. She said, I, I just don't have time to watch them. I got a little baby that's about six months old and got one about two and a half years old. She said, they don't give me time to watch. I said, I understand. So I give her tracts and papers and everything, and I'll talk to her, and she listens. She said, why don't you tell the other girls in the office? I said, I have. They don't want it. And it's, but they all treat me nice, like I'm a king. She's the one that wants to talk to me. And that is such a thrill to have somebody in the doctor's office that likes to see you coming. Oh, they all are friendly to me. And they all respect me. Her father sat down in front of me one time. And I was up on that table and he said, tell me about the difference in the Westcott and Hort and the Texas Receptus. And I take off and go like that real fast. He said, whoa, wait a minute. I can't understand that. I'm just a doctor. When he said that, I started laughing. <laughs> I never had a doctor say, I'm just a doctor. I can't understand what you're saying. But it was funny. And he said, I study the Bible, but not like you. I said, I know that. <laughs> But I care about him, and I hope I can. It was one of his other assistants that said, well, I don't believe that. I said, you have to believe it. It's in the Bible. She went, Father, I'm out of time, I think. So I'm going to come back and talk about. I just wanted to share some things. Read about other people's having a hard time in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I pray that you'll take this message and cause it to touch people's hearts about what we have to go through as a believer. You require it, and you're commanding it of all of those of us that belong to you. It gets sad because some people want to straddle the fence and go back to where they used to be, and we can't do that. Lord, I thank you for years of study and opening the Word to me so I can share it with others, others, Lord. I just want to be able to help the sheep to grow. I pray you'll give us strength and let me keep preaching these truths. Give me health for years to come. It's according to your mercy. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Well, maybe that'll help people to understand that there's other people in the Bible had a hard time and you and I are supposed to be having a hard time. But the, the more knowledge you get, the more wisdom you get, the stronger you get. That's the key. Learning these words and these verses and where they are, that'll help you.